How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks Media Day 2017. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how are you doing tonight? It's me. It's Media Day, Eric. Uh, you know, we're just looking to uh, looking forward to a good podcasting season. Um, I think we, you know, great to bring back both of us from last year, continuity wise. Uh, you know, I think we're gonna we're gonna try to play faster this year. Uh, try to reduce the length of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> get uh, become a top ten podcast, both offensively and defensively. And uh, I was just looking forward to a great season. Excited to be back. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is that we really have great chemistry. Um, you and I, Frank and I, have just grown together over this last year. Where we do over two hundred podcasts together, and when you when you talk to a guy that much, you just kind of know the ins and outs of really how he wants to get into and out of his points, how he wants to get into and out of uh, of live reads, of asking questions. So you really know what to expect when you see a guy uh, and you talk to a guy that often. And so really, I, I think we're expecting to be uh, a, a five-star podcast uh, each and every yeah. day on iTunes. If, if you go there and you look at the reviews, they're going to be extremely complimentary. They, they, that's just what it's going to be this year. So um, we're excited to get going. Not that there won't be bumps along the way. Uh, obviously, we're going to have to work into uh, our ultimate game shape, but uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, I've put on five pounds of weight uh, this summer, so, uh, you know, <laughs> That's hopefully that's going to really help me uh, help me this year get through some of these tough podcasts. But uh, no, <laughs> we just we 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 carried that joke out way too long. We apologize. I apologize um, for nothing. That was a good bit, and I stand by it. Okay, all right. I'm glad. I'm glad we we didn't. Yeah, let, let's roll with it. Um, but yeah, Bucks actual Bucks Media Day is here, and and you were there, and um, I watched uh, on on the Bucks live feed, and uh, was was happy to hear your melodious voice. Uh, Probably more often uh, than than anybody else, maybe you and Matt, Matt Velasquez uh, seem to. We had, seem a, to we had a little give and go going there for a little while. <laughs> seem to be, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say, you know, you're it's one A and one B to to borrow a phrase <laughs> from Jason Kidd today, but the two of you were uh, carrying the day, especially on maybe some of the less popular uh, interview subjects. But uh, yeah, full day of. Um, ownership uh, doing kicking things off then Jason Kidd and John Horst together which um, 
feels feels fitting, I think, based on sort of the image they've projected thus far. Uh, and then obviously uh, groups of players, often in twos, um, a couple examples of players by themselves. But um, it was uh, it was good to see everybody back. And um, I don't know. By the way, one thing I, I wish I don't think anybody asked um, and I, I want to know officially, I would I would like to know what if Giannis officially weighs at this point. Because I think he's been listed at like what two twenty three or something like that for like the last like year or two, and you're gonna say Giannis, more. Giannis looks like a big, pretty damn big dude. I mean, he's obviously lean and everything, but yeah, he's uh, he's he he's a freak of nature. Anyway, um, you were there. Sure. I, I, what, what, I mean, what were your thoughts on this? It's the first first time doing this uh, at the new training facility. Um, and obviously, hey, that's convenient because you don't have to go all the way down to the Cousin Center. So yeah. good for you, good for everybody. It is nice. Um, but uh, what were your thoughts on on this 2017 Media Day? And um, I don't know, maybe maybe a little more boring because it's mostly the same people we saw a year ago, but obviously different circumstances and different expectations. Yeah, I always think it's difficult to try to figure out exactly what to take away from Media Day because, well, uh, you're going to get the cliches that we spouted at the start of this uh, of this podcast that you're going to get all those things thrown at you so um it's always difficult to try to decipher what's real what's not real um and you're always trying to figure out what means something like it, does someone's answer actually mean they're going to be bad the upcoming year does that mean they're going to play a different way does that mean they're going to have a bigger role uh, cuz we were talking about it uh, with our old friend Steve Von Horn a little bit and our friend of the pod Dan Schaefer, we were talking before on Twitter about the useful things we've learned at Media Days. And I joked about how we could do a full podcast on the moment where I told Greg Monroe last year that he was going to be coming off the bench because it was fascinating because it was clear no one had told him um, at that point that he was going to be coming off the bench. And we didn't have any of those moments this year. We we had players come up in pairs. We had Giannis and Chris get to talk about each other and uh, how well they play together. We got to have Thon and Greg up there and tell us how they're going to work as a tandem and how they're going to be that combination where one stretches the floor and the other one's big. We had Jet covering up for Tony not wanting to talk. Uh, we had all these guys kind of work together um, and, and help each other out, and it was all faces we knew. So I don't know if there was anything interesting, exciting, to uh, like really like a big headline, but I do think there, there were a couple interesting things there. Um, and I guess we can kind of do it in order, um, but the first people to come up to the microphones were the owners. Um, they obviously talked a little bit about kind of where they're expecting the team to go, what their expectations are, the new facility, all of those things, and then kind of got into expectations and the fact that, you know, with continuity, which was the buzzword of the day, um, with continuity that they expect the team to get better and expectations go up and thinking about winning playoff series and, and doing those types of things. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. One thing I took away, I thought it was funny when uh, in one of their first answers, both 
Mark Lazarine Wes Edens called Giannis a top 10 player or a top 10 type player and Jamie Dynan interjected and goes no top five top five and I was like whoa <laughs> okay Jamie like all right that's fine like if you feel uh that strongly about it that I think that would take a little bit of a jump um in where Giannis is right now to be a top five NBA player but I I support it. That, that was that I thought that was interesting. Um, so I, I don't know. Just getting into all of it, uh, I thought that was interesting from the owners. Um, I know I asked a little bit about the business of basketball and kind of how all of that works because obviously we had both read the story from Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst last week about a number of teams losing money year like annually losing money obviously evaluations for teams are are through the roof um but as as you're looking at teams losing money and even with revenue sharing and talking about a little bit of that i I thought it was interesting that when i asked about that they said yeah the the reality is you probably are going to use you're going to lose money from year to year um that there's just not a, a way to to do it unless you want to gut your team and not spend on salary and be able to do that. So um, I, I thought that was interesting. Um, anything of note you thought from the owners? No, I mean, I think it was a little hard to, I, I didn't really tweet and we haven't really talked about the report from, from Lowe and Windhorst about, you know, the Bucks being one of the teams that uh, in this league memo uh, reportedly lost money in a net income basis, even after accounting for revenue sharing. Um, and, it's kind of hard to parse what that means because, you know, again, I, I didn't want to really I didn't know what really to say, not being able to, like, look at the details of this, um, you know, and and you got to kind of keep in mind, too. I mean, like, I don't know, like I, I've I've taken enough accounting classes and done enough, like, you know, valuation activities for my in, in my work life that um, it, you can kind of get something from a net income base to say kind of what you want it to. I, I know yeah. I've heard um I've heard that, you know, NBA teams depreciate their rosters, um, which is a really abstract thing to me that would seem to overstate, you know, their their losses, for instance. Like, and I don't know how much else might happen um, in a a, on an NBA, you know, P&L that that might not really reflect reality. You know, like I'd be curious to see what a a cash flow statement would look like. I mean, that's, you know, if you're valuing a a company or an asset, you'd want to look at, at cash flows. And that's really the kind of the be all end all. And you know who knows, right? I mean, we know the Bucks have invested a lot in different parts of their organization, staffing up in in certain areas like sales and things like that. Um, you know how much has that has led to maybe you know additional costs versus previously. You know, is that going to pay off down the road more than it has now? You know, I don't know. I mean, I would I would caution people just to note. I mean, you know, the I don't know if if the investments that have been happening in an arena or the training center you know where exactly that lives if it lives in the bucks pnl or in i know there's like a different company that that's doing i think the arena stuff but keep in mind as well i mean those are like capex investments so those wouldn't really you know those would be like basically depreciated year for year it's not like you know you're going to take a loss uh for 100 million dollars because you invested in a, in a long-lived asset that's not how the accounting would work so um so it, it long story short it's really hard to parse like what that means i think the yeah. bottom line is it's more of the relative basis right it's that relative to the rest of nba teams the bucks don't seem to be doing particularly well from a financial basis um i think in the past couple of years i want to say that forbes has shown them as having um an operating profit of of some degree um so again, you know, I mean, I think clearly the economics are, you know, in the ballpark of of 
you know, workable. And I thought it was interesting how long they talked about it. And, you know, they also mentioned that, you know, the valuations, they, they went to the valuations. And a lot of times this is something owners don't want to talk about because it's kind of the dirty little secret is that, you know, ownership talks about like when they're negotiating with the players, oh, we, we're losing all this money, we're losing all this money, we need to be able to reduce player salaries. And they don't talk about the fact that, oh, by the way, you know, if you bought an NBA team 10 years ago, the value of it is, you know, 10x what it was or, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. so, you know, if you want to go out and sell it, then you're going to make a ton of money and all those, you know, annual losses of five, 10 million bucks are, are usually going to get wiped out. But they they brought that up. I mean, they noted um, that yes. they bought this team for $550 million or whatever it was, which was the highest amount of money ever spent on an NBA team at the time. And, you know, a few years later, uh, f- exactly four times that has been spent on the Houston Rockets of uh, that $2.2 billion price tag we've seen. So, um, so, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, they didn't really try to dissuade you from thinking that they were – that was you know. the thing that surprised me most was that either I thought it was going to be a brush away or kind of a, a denial and they kind of dove right in. Yeah, I mean, and I would note too here, I mean, this is kind of like a, it's a weird needle to thread, right? Because this is also a team that is getting, you know, the arena is being paid for, you know, in part by taxpayers, right? And so um, yep. it's also, you know, PR wise, like if the Bucks came out and said, no, 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 no. We're printing money. I mean, eh, you know that also. That also, especially right now, yeah. when they don't have a new arena, that's not the narrative that sort of was told um, about why they needed a new arena. So, um, so we'll see how it evolves. I think you know the thesis on the Bucks is that they do need a new arena to really be competitive from a you know a, a profitability standpoint. Um, and and we'll see. And I think I think it was Mark Lazary was said you know very bluntly like if you want to make a lot of money, then don't don't spend on salaries, you know, yep. just spend as little money as possible. And they are not doing that. They're, uh, you know, they mentioned that they're at about 118 million. And <laughs> in, 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 I enjoyed in that line. Like, well, we're using 118% of the cap. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm well aware. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. It was, it was interesting. I mean, did I learn anything? Not really, but, um, it, you know, it was interesting to see them actually talk about it a little bit yeah. rather than just, as you said, just sort of deflect it and move on. I mean, they they kind of clearly had had some thoughts on it, um, but but we'll see. You know, we'll see if um, we'll see how that how that discussion evolves over time. And obviously, you know, as a fan of the team, you don't want them to to be losing money every year, right? You want them, especially when that new arena comes, you want them to to move into um, a better, you know, profitability. Uh, spe- you know, part of the spectrum uh, overall in the NBA, um, but but look, I mean, if they can if they can sustain the this company or this team as a business, spending right up the luxury tax, you know, I think you're fine, right? Um, most teams are not going to yeah. be able to spend way over the luxury tax. And keep in mind too, I I don't know, I forget offhand. Um, I think we're within a year or two. I want to say of um, the Bucks deal with Fox Sports Wisconsin running out as well. And that's been a huge driver of revenues at other teams. I mean, you know, you're never going to be in the ballpark of a Lakers where, I mean, the Lakers may make, you know, whatever it is, a hundred million more than the Bucks ever will annually on their TV deal. Um, but the Bucks presumably can do better than they are right now. So um, hopefully that can also sort of make some bridge some of the gap. But anyway, um, enough about the owners. I, I don't know if there was anything else from them um, that that was kind of worth getting into. No, um, I don't. I don't think so. I, I thought that was about it. Obviously, I'm probably not going to the owners of the franchise to get player evaluations or 
uh, a real unbiased look at, at kind of how things are are progressing going forward. Um, I, I was trying to get into a little bit uh, about the criteria used to judge a coach, a GM, and was served a, a number of platitudes, which makes sense. But I do think another takeaway from the day is that no one seems to be hiding from expectations that they seem unafraid of using words like 50 wins of saying winning playoff series of doing these things and again this is media day so you're going to say positive things and you're going to push all of that forward um, and just say oh yeah you know we're going to take a step forward and I, I think there's a number of ways that everyone involved could have deflected could have just said, oh yeah, we're, we're going to try to get better. We're going to try to move from good to good. Um, we're going to try to do a number of things. And and largely, that, that was not what happened today. Um, so, to me, that was interesting. And, I mean, that was part of why I wanted to get into the criteria to judge your coach, GM, because with expectations, become there's blame. If you don't reach those expectations, someone needs to be held accountable. So with that accountability, with those expectations, things need to be judged in that way. There does need to be the criteria. There does need to be ways to judge success. And I just thought it was interesting that they were willing to build in those expectations and essentially create accountability where in the past it was own the future, we're building towards something, uh, in a couple years will be great. It was very much in the next year. We need to get better and we need to win a series and we need to win 50 games. I, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, do you feel the same way about that? Because I know in the past you've kind of pushed back against that idea. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and part of this, I'm, I'm viewing this through the lens of my own fandom and feeling like as a Bucks fan, we've gotten kind of burned whenever we've had expectations, whether it was the, you know, Oh one oh two teams and and the fact that oh they go to the East Finals and then you know they try to make this move with Anthony Mason to go over the top and then you know just disaster strikes and the whole team's basically gone within a couple of years um, or you know fear the deer run twenty ten huge disappointment there uh, two years ago obviously a disappointment after uh, the first season of the new ownership and um, and you know the interesting thing is a lot of those guys a lot of the players that suffered through that that follow up season to the fear of the deer year um including greg monroe who who joined the bucks in part because he thought he was joining a team that was on the rise and was going to make noise in the east that year um a lot of those people are the same people right including jason kidd and the coaching staff and obviously ownership so they've kind of been burned by that so the fact that they are still willing to show that ambition i guess you can say um and you know we have the same stuff i mean i think West Edens, you know, we had this whole thing of the stuff about like building the championship and, and all that stuff and, and all that's fine and good. But, you know, I, I don't know if I care about that that much right now because it's almost like the Bucks are certainly closer to a championship now than they were, you know, certainly a few years ago when, when ownership took over and they were the worst team in the league. Um, but on some level, like I want to hear more about like the next steps because it's almost like, well, yeah, I know at this point, I know that like the idea is that you want to compete for a championship, but Mm -hmm. okay. How do you compete for an Eastern conference championship? And you know, that was talked about today of how do you go to the East finals? I think, um, you, you 
surprised Jason Terry a little bit. We can talk about that um, in terms of uh, asking him what uh, what his predictions were. Um, but uh, but I mean, I think it's a positive if everybody has high expectations because um, again, you know, the less people are trying to manage expectations to you know just sort of try to uh, under promise over deliver. I mean, I think that's a plus thing because. I think that is real. I, I think ownership does have high expectations. I think if this team, you know, wins 42 games, um, I think the coaching staff's jobs will be in jeopardy. Honestly, yes, you know, I, I, agree. I think I, I think there is that level of expectation, even though that might not really be really that out, that far out of the question or that crazy, uh, given what circumstances might come about. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think expectations are a good thing, and I think them kind of seeming to embrace them are a good thing. Everybody's optimistic on media day. Um, but again, I, I think that, you know, the, at some point, a Milwaukee Bucks team is going to have to have expectations and actually live up to them. And it's been a long time since any Bucks team actually did that. And, you know, again, uh, let's hope this is the group that, that does it. And at least they're not they're not shirking and, and shying away from it. Speaking of all those things, let's get into the fourth-year head coach, Jason Kidd, and the first-year general manager, John Horst. Um, I'm trying to think of, of things that I found to be really significant in that portion. And uh, and obviously with both those guys, uh, Jason can, can be heavy on the platitudes and John Horst is still getting used to being a media figure, I think. So, so largely not a ton of exciting stuff there. Um, but as we talked with Jason Kidd... Um, it was just interesting to me that as the day went on, the idea of kind of what the defense would look like, how good this defense can be. Um, obviously, that's a question I always ask. Um, I, I think for the last two years, that's been a regular question pregame uh, about giving up too many threes, about uh, letting people get to the rim too easily, um, just about general idea of changing things with the scheme those have all been things that uh again uh, jason's probably annoyed i mean he's certainly annoyed by me um and the those questions over and over again um but it was interesting to hear him talk a little bit about that today and and say that things will be largely the same that they are going to be as aggressive as they normally are. They are going to uh, continue to employ that scheme defensively. Um, but you, one of the notes you had sent over was there was a bit of a, of a suggestion of a change there, Frank. Yeah, I thought, and and we should caveat all this by saying nobody really expects Jason Kidd to necessarily be, you know. First off, we know they're not just kind of completely scrapping their scheme and turning into some like really conservative defense. Um, and with their personnel, and he alluded to this today, I mean, that's not necessarily even something that necessarily makes sense. I mean, they do have the personnel to be more aggressive than than average. Um, but it was interesting to hear him specifically make uh, a reference to potentially switching more in defense, which I, I think sometimes people characterize the Bucks' defense as being this like, super switchy defense to begin yeah. with and um i you know i haven't seen the, the I, I think um i know there's some metrics that capture this and i we don't they're not public 
uh, in terms of teams that switch the most on defense. I haven't seen it for last year. I know, I, I want to say a couple of years ago, the Bucks were were not, I don't think, that high really on the list in terms of switches. So um, even though they have the personnel, I don't think they've necessarily done tons of switching relative to how other teams defend. I mean, you know, it's very common um, if you see screening actions, you know, on the wings, stuff like that, that like teams will just switch. Like, you know, the two and three will switch all the time um, and things like that. But to see more kind of clear switches like you know actually switching thon maker onto a point guard or a wing or something like that in a pick and roll like they still seem to mostly do you know kind of like hedge and recover type stuff so it was and and that can work fine again when you have athletes like thon and and Giannis. so again i don't you know i've said this before i don't think necessarily like the bucks defense hinges on how much you know they switch versus hedge or pick and rolls things like that but um it was interesting to at least see a a reference to that um even though maybe the bigger question is you know the overhelping that we see from them more. Um, but who knows if, you know, switching more as a vehicle to uh, maybe playing more of a straight up, slightly more conservative defense, I think that would be a positive. But I thought it was interesting that he said that just because, you know, again, like I don't think any coach would really want to telegraph sort of major tactical changes you're making to your defense heading into a season. You would rather force opponents to have to watch that on film. But um, certainly Jason Kidd, we have less expectation that he would change just because of his personality. But um, it, it was interesting to at least see a reference to that. Yeah, and, and I think the the funny thing there is, well, it, there, there's there's not the, the thought that Jason Kidd would really change things up. That is, is so much kind of against what he does that um, I guess it would be surprising um and especially with the crew that they have this year they have personnel that uh, i think in over the summer we've talked this bucks personnel fits the defense better than or that defensive scheme specifically better than just about i would say just about any other bucks team but that's certainly true Uh, just about anyone throughout the league i feel like well when you look at Giannis, you look at chris their strengths i i think really fit well in this scheme where maybe chris doesn't fit so well in other schemes where he is asked to to use his foot speed a little bit more because he simply just just doesn't really have that um so I, I think this does kind of leverage their skills and then you add a guy in like brogdon who has some of those same problems where maybe he doesn't have the foot speed for point guards but if you uh hedge high enough and you're aggressive enough he can get back to where he needs to be or maybe he can cover a center for a second where then he can get back like they're the way that they do things um this this personnel this personnel really fits that and it should really work so to me it was interesting to hear that okay maybe there is some more switching in there and I, i think largely the thing that you and I would be looking for is okay. Does some of that switching help? Ma- does some of that switching make them help less? Like, is does that overhelping kind of move away if you are switching more? So I thought that was interesting, but again, there there's no reason for uh, Jason to really give us a great look into everything they're thinking about defensively. And largely, we have to see them play and see how they're going to try to execute this uh, before really going in all that far. Um, but the fact that there maybe is a little bit 
of malleability to this defense was maybe a little bit surprising to me because um, uh, largely I, I didn't think it, there was any malleability that that it was the scheme is the scheme is the scheme and it's going to be that way until the day Jason Kidd is no longer the coach in Milwaukee. Yeah, and I think the big you know again just sort of zooming out big picture. The big concern is that. Um, the Bucks, the way they play, you know, trying to force turnovers, trying to basically force extra passes uh, at the expense of, you know, if teams can make the extra pass, they get those good looks, they get more three pointers than they might otherwise get. Uh, I think the big concern, I think what's interesting to watch again this year, because this is not just the fourth year of the Jason Kidd experience in Milwaukee, but the league has been changing in those four years. And in that first season, when they were the I think second ranked defense by basketball references metric, uh, you know, by their defensive efficiency stat. Um, you know, the league that year averaged, uh, let's see, in terms of three point attempts per game, twenty two point four threes per game. Last year, twenty seven threes per game. I mean, that's a that's that's basically a twenty percent bump in two years <laughs> in terms of the number of threes, right? And turnovers decreased league-wise, league-wide over that two-year span from 14.4 to 14 per game per team. Uh, again, not a huge amount. Uh, but overall, I mean, the league, if you look at at offensive rating, you know, last year was, I believe, I'm, I'm just, you know, did a quick look on basketball reference, but it's basically since they've been able to calculate pace stats because, you know, they didn't have the, all the box score numbers previously to do this. But before, you know, so basically since 1973, 45 seasons or 44 seasons worth of time last year was basically the most efficient season of any we've ever seen in the NBA. And obviously part of that is, is shooting more three pointers. And part of that is, you know, again, turning the ball over a little less because you're taking more early threes. Um, you know, something that Nate Duncan and I talked about on the dunk on podcast preview of the bucks last week. Uh, and so again, not just, um, you know, from a buck standpoint, are you playing a, a style that's, you know, high, high risk and, high reward but it's getting to higher risk and maybe lower reward if that makes sense or you know it's just sort of yeah. a less likely thing to work just because of the way teams are playing now there's sort of this secular change in in terms of play style so i, I don't know i mean as we said i, I think you know if you're going to make this type of scheme work you probably have very good personnel to do that uh but again it's also frustrating to think well you know, are you are you winning in spite of your scheme rather than because of your scheme? And obviously, that's the concern with with how the Bucks do it. But again, maybe maybe they are making some some changes, and even if they're subtle changes, I think that's that's a good thing. Again, you don't have to be super conservative with these these types of athletes. Um, but only time will tell until we see them doing it on the court. Uh, and I'm sure it'll take a little while before we really figure out. You know, it's the Bucks defense made real changes have they not made real changes are they executing better is it sustainable uh will probably be a, a little while more than just the first games of the season before we can make a read on that <laughs> how sad would it be like if the added switches are like when dj wilson and mirza Toledovic play together like those two are going to switch everything like man that would be sad um but hopefully that's not the case hopefully the just the idea that there is maybe some possibility that um maybe seen enough film uh, taking a look at enough numbers, whatever it may be, just kind of getting the idea that maybe some slight tweaks could actually really help out and you don't have to lose all of the aggressiveness that you want um, and you don't have to lose the ability to leverage uh, those long athletes and uh, it, it'll be interesting. Um, I don't I would say I'm not particularly hopeful. Um, but you you really never know, so we'll have to see there. 
anything else, Jason Kidd, or can we move on to general manager John Horst? Uh, only the thing with Kidd, I would say, is I think um, I think you asked specifically about Chris Middleton and and you know him having oh yeah yeah the ability to you know prove that he can be a quote unquote number two. And um, I saw a few people comment just about Kidd saying that that both Middleton and and Giannis were like first options or something like that. And I'm sure there was some like, you know, somewhere somebody was like getting mad online about uh, about that. But it was pretty innocuous. I I took it mainly as sort of a kid just trying to talk up Chris. And, and, you know, again, when you brought that up, he said, well, we look at it as one A and one B. And I think it was more him just trying to talk up Chris. But uh, but I think certainly that's that's something that will be interesting to see. And I know Giannis and Chris, when they did their um, their their little duet uh, on stage, you know, Giannis was very deferential and giving Chris credit. But um, yeah, obviously, that's a big question. You know, how how much can can Chris Middleton score? How effective can he be as the second best offensive weapon on a team? And um, certainly a lot at stake uh, if he scores 20 a game, if he scores 19 a game, puts up all lots of good numbers. I mean, th- this could be an all-star year for Chris Middleton. But um, that's that's a uh, that's probably we can we can maybe talk about that in a little bit when we talk about Chris and, and Giannis. Yeah, I w- we can probably save it until then. Um, but man, I have a lo- I have a lot of thoughts on Chris Middleton, and I got some pushback on it on Twitter. Um, so I'm interested to see later in the week when we talk Giannis and Chris and their kind of duet. Kind of, I'm very interested. But yeah, I, I thought largely it was just Jason saying like, "Hey, you calling some dude a number two is." not a nice thing to say like this guy is very talented we like chris middleton a lot so you're not going to call him a number two we're going to call him 1a and 1b and i mean i didn't ask if malcolm is a great number three or thon is a great number four but maybe it would have been a 1b 1c 1d 1e 1f 1g uh for every player I, that that was really all i took out of it was that it, it was going to be um no matter what there that it was going to be something where Jason stood up for Chris and, and made sure that we all knew that they think very highly of him, which I think is ultimately a good thing. All right. Uh, to general manager, John Horst, again, not a ton of interesting stuff there. Um, I do think two things though, in relation to the bu- two of the Bucks' biggest stars. Um, I think the first one was about Jabari Parker and contract extension talk. Uh, we are three weeks away uh, from the deadline, or at least as we record this uh, tonight on Monday, um, three weeks away from that deadline, uh, as that is October 16th. And <laughs> just, the, just the way those two talked about it, um, I'm not particularly hopeful that this gets done. Uh, when when Horace talked about it, he talked about how uh, they're having positive conversations and they're they're trying to figure out exactly what it would be. He mentioned that the injury though would kind of drag that down and make it a little bit more difficult uh, to sign him and that the injuries play or no, it wasn't that it'd be more difficult, but just that the injuries are going to be a factor in the discussions. Um, and to me that screams, mm, no, we're not going to give you a max. And then as you listen to Jabari talk, he talked a lot about, uh, his agent and paying that 3% so that he didn't have to deal with any of this stuff and he could stay largely out of it. Uh, but then he, he did make sure to mention that, um, Milwaukee is definitely where he wants to be, but at this point it's not his choice. Um, and as I often do when we talk about 
uh, the things Jabari Parker says. Sometimes he chooses strange turns of phrase. Uh, sometimes he he says strange things that don't necessarily make a ton of sense. Um, and maybe it is just uh, something uh, not being communicated correctly or um, maybe something just a little weird. So, again, I don't put total faith in that, but I do think you look on one side and see Horace talking about how injuries are going to play a factor and um, ultimately me reading as, no, you're not going to get a max. And on the other side, it's, we're going to try to get as much money as possible. And I just don't see how you see those two things and and find a middle point where an agreement gets done. Yeah, I mean, we talked about why maybe the, the, the Jabari wants a max PR uh, press release that, that Gary Wolfel did for Mark Bridlestein maybe doesn't, you know, necessarily mean a whole lot, you know, just everybody talks about maxes in, in a lot of ways, yeah. or and oftentimes a lot of, you know, players, agents will float that for better or worse. Um, but again, with, with Mark Bartlesine specifically, I guess, you know, he has maybe a bit more of a track record of extracting way too much money for his clients. And that has continued this summer with, with Mason Plumley among others, of course, Miles Plumley last summer. So, uh, Bartlesine may be a guy I, uh, I'm even more skeptical of agreeing to a team friendly deal than, than maybe some other guys. And, um, again, you know, with him, hit, with Jabari being, re- you know, due to hit restricted free agency next summer, no real urgency to do anything now. Um, and, and again, yeah, I mean, Horst alluding to the injury and that being a factor. I mean, that, to me, that just gets at, you know, like I, it doesn't seem like Bartleson really wants to take much of a, you know, haircut for the purposes of getting a deal done just to get a deal done. Uh, and, uh, if you're the bucks, I mean, what, what, what is the urgency, right? You know, that the market, uh, has moved, uh, against the players over the past few months in terms of, you know, just cap space teams being more hesitant to fork out those huge risky deals. Jabari certainly would be a huge risky deal if you were to throw, you know, 20, 25 million at this guy, uh, per year. And I think they're right to to take their chances and see kind of what happens next summer. It doesn't mean that they that they necessarily sit back and just let another team make an offer and don't even make Jabari an offer. I'm sure they'll try to kind of figure out some way to keep keep a good relationship. But uh, but again, it could get it could get weird next summer. And you know, I think uh, either way, I just think we're going to have to wait and see. I would largely agree with that. Um, moving on to the other interesting thing, I think you said was talking a little bit about Giannis's knee injury. Obviously, this was something where no one really knows exactly what happened, um, but I think largely I lean on believing the Bucks and the NBA's version of events, um, mainly because the that just seems more likely given the history of uh, the Greek Basketball Federation, the guy that runs the Greek Basketball Federation, uh, some of their leadership. Uh, to me, that, that that would just make a little bit more sense. And also Giannis's answer today. Um, but it, it was interesting that there seemed to be some, at least some conflict in the way the the way Horst and Giannis addressed the injury. Um, when Horst talked about it during his availability, he said it was a wear and tear issue. We needed him to be off his knee and to get the appropriate rehab and the appropriate rest, and that was best suited here in Milwaukee. And then when Giannis talked about it, he said, uh, you know, it's feeling better, and I still just need to keep doing 
uh, what I need to do each day. And I, I don't know, Horst seemed to brush off the injury while Giannis seemed to make it seem a little bit more serious. I, I don't know, it was just kind of a, a weird a weird spot there where it, it didn't necessarily, uh, those two things didn't seem to agree. Yeah, I think the message from John Horst was he's ready to go and everything's fine now. Everything, all better, you know. <laughs> uh, and from Giannis, it, I, I don't know, it's, it did, you didn't seem to get the impression that he was, trying to make it seem like he was still maybe not a hundred percent quite yet, but was on the path to getting there. Um, so it, you know, it's interesting. And again, um, you have to think about motivations here as well. And, um, you know, again, I, I think, you know, if you're Giannis, I mean, again, this is not to doubt that it was a good idea to, to, you know, avoid the Eurobasket and, and just do take care of, uh, the rehab in Milwaukee. But, you know, by the same token, I mean, his his incentive is not to say, oh, it was no big deal. I'm totally fine. Yeah. You know, whatever. Like, I mean, you know, and, and I'm sure Giannis did want to play in Eurobasket. So I, I don't fault him for, um, you know, being a bit more cautious. And ultimately, it's his body. Right. I mean, he he's reportedly dealt with with some knee pain previously. So I don't think this was like a brand new thing for him. Um, and again, you just hope that uh, that him coming back to Milwaukee, that uh, everything has gone as well as uh, John Horst seemed to imply it has, and that uh, you know, uh, hopefully we will not be talking about Giannis knee and knee pain again this season. Yeah, that that would be ideal. And um, I, I guess I was thinking about saving it for when we talked more about Giannis and, and Chris, which I think we'll do in our next podcast. But uh, I, I guess I'll just read off Giannis's quote. And uh, I mean, I was the one that asked the question, and it seemed like Giannis really did kind of think about exactly how he wanted to say this but his answer was the decision was tough it was really hard it's hard when you have a whole country behind you that expects you to play it was one of the toughest decisions i've ever made as an athlete but i think it it is the the bad i think it is the <laughs> i think it is the benefit for me and my family um so it, it, to me it it did make a lot of sense and Obviously, I think it was a really tough decision. I think he did have to think long and hard about, okay, I do really want to play in Eurobasket, and I do really want to play for the Greek national team, but maybe I can wait a a little while. Uh, Maybe I can do this a little bit later in my career when I don't have these problems. So, um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if it was all that telling, if there was any foreshadowing about – lingering knee injuries or anything like that but um i I did find all of that interesting i think that's the only uh topic or the only two topics i circled from john horst anything else you had there um well i i guess i just get think it's worth discussing at least i mean it seems like john horst and jason kidd have kind of gone out of the way to sort of present a unified front in ways that maybe um John Hammond and, and Jason Kidd did not previously. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading into that a little bit just because we know the circumstances of Kidd's arrival were obviously very awkward for Hammond first and foremost. Um, and and they always kind of played nice, obviously, publicly. But uh, it, it is interesting seeing Horst and Kidd together here. Um, you know, it seems like Horst goes out of his way to talk about the inclusion of the coaching staff and decision-making and things like that. I, I just think it's interesting, right? Because, you know, again, I, I know that there are obviously a lot of fans who uh, are not Jason Kidd fans who um, get nervous thinking that 
you know, Horst is, is just going to go and, and do what kid wants and, and will not be able to kind of stand up for himself, even though by, you know, again, public accounts from West Eden's on down, John Horst is the guy officially who has the decision-making authority on personnel moves. Um, but I just think it's going to be interesting to watch, watch that play out, you know, because obviously that's, that's a question mark. You've got a very young GM, um, who I think everyone would agree is a lot of job security in the short term. I mean, John Horse is not going to get fired uh, at the end of the season if this nope. team doesn't live up to expectations. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if there is uh, some degree of, um, you know, cha- if there are challenges this year, if there are struggles, if the team goes on a losing streak, uh, if they lose Giannis for some period, whatever it might be, um, I think it will be interesting to see just uh, how the, you know, the, the, that combination of those two guys, uh, how they work together. And again, if things don't go as well as certainly ownership hopes, um, you know, what happens then? And uh, I think until then, it seems like they're going to try to, you know, be productive together. And certainly I don't blame John Horst for wanting to work with Jason Kidd. Uh, they've obviously been working together since Jason Kidd has been in Milwaukee, which he pointed out today. Uh, but uh, I think it is interesting to see sort of that combination uh, and and just sort of see the push and pull of, of how that works. Um, you know, we're, we talked about a bit during the Derrick Rose discussions. Uh, Derrick Rose seemed to be a guy that Jason Kidd wanted. Maybe John Horst didn't want so much. And obviously the Bucks could have signed J- Derrick Rose or could have at least gone after him more aggressively if they had uh, been willing to stretch Spencer Hawes earlier. Uh, they did not. And uh, obviously, Derrick Rose is now in Cleveland, and Bucks really didn't make a big move for him. Um, we'll be interested to see uh, just sort of how that decision-making process goes. And um, again, hopefully, hopefully the Bucks are really good, and everybody's happy, and kumbaya, et cetera, et cetera. But um, <laughs> you know, it, obviously, something to keep an eye on. I thought you were saying, obviously, as a Bucks fan, we know that won't happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I thought that was very interesting. Um, and yes, uh, those two do seem to. Um, play off of each other well and do seem to get along well, um, which I do think largely when you would hear John Hammond talk, it, I thought him and Jason got along well. Um, but there were a bunch of times during that press conference where it was one answering and the second following, and uh, it, it seemed to be more together than maybe separate minds, which uh, I think could be a little bit scary if you are thinking about a front office where eventually the best ideas go to the top where the best ideas are discussed and whoever has uh the best idea you eventually get to it through discussion like maybe that's a little bit scary if they agree on so many things but uh like you said it we have to see kind of how things play out and yeah uh, it, it is interesting to, to sort of think that after so long feeling that the coach undoubtedly has more job security than the general manager, I think we have flipped to a spot where the general manager undoubtedly has more job security than the coach. Is that crazy or would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I... I I really hadn't thought about it, but but that was definitely the case. I mean, that was a huge undertone to to everything. Certainly, the the you know the John Hammond awkwardness of the last couple of years has been that he seemed to have been sort of year to year throughout his tenure in Milwaukee, and and obviously coming you know being a holdover from the previous regime. Um, that's maybe not surprising, but uh, obviously with with John Hammond, it always felt kind of touch and go. I think 
you know, ownership publicly has sort of said otherwise that they always are pleased with John, et cetera. But look, I mean, there's a reason why they did not fight to keep John Hammond when he went and interviewed for the Orlando Magic Magic job. The reason they allowed him to. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a reason he was able to interview for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so, I, but I agree. I do think it's interesting that uh, that now that's finally reversed. I think that's typically the more normal way of operating in the NBA, yeah. where you know, again, a, a a coach and a good again a good coach usually doesn't only you know report to a general manager. Um, good coaches tend to you know has more of the dotted line to to the owner as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a bit different now. You know, GMs tend to be longer tenured than than coaches and. Um, it feels like I don't know. John Horse is obviously very young, but it does feel like maybe there's a bit more sense of uh, I hesitate. To say, I hesitate to say normalcy. I'm going to regret saying normalcy, but um, but but I think that dynamic has changed a bit, and and certainly that that also puts a little bit more pressure on Jason Kidd to to work with the front office and um, maybe not think that he can just rely on the fact that oh uh, I'm Jason Kidd. I've I've got you know a five or six million dollar year contract and. Uh, I can do what I want. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, okay, I think that's going to be good for today. Uh, obviously, there was two more hours of media availability after this. Um, so we got through the owners and kid and horse. So that takes us from 11 in the morning to about noon when I started to get hungry. Um, I didn't get to eat until we're, we're going. We're going minute for minute. For every for every minute of thing, we're just going to talk about it for a minute. Is that basically that's basically what's going to happen? Um, as long as we allot the minutes that I spend talking to the guys at the end of the roster to Giannis and Chris, like as long as we can move those minutes around, I might be okay with it. Um, but if I have to spend the, I mean, I, I think I only spend five minutes talking to the six guys playing Survivor Milwaukee. Um, I, I don't even think I could do that long on those guys. So, but we'll see. Um, we will continue. Uh, we will do all of that throughout the rest of the week. We'll talk about some of the other stuff that stuck out to us. Um, obviously, the fact that we stayed on just the first two interviews today means there wasn't like any breaking news. Um, if there was breaking news, we would have hit that. Um, but we'll hit that the rest of the week. We'll talk about that, um, and we will do that. We never, we we never gave people their Gerald Green slash Joel Anthony slash i don't know where they kendall marshall all uh, three guys got signed since our last podcast but i, I think i'm okay with with de- deferring that conversation to another day or never um <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter to me however it works out um uh, but we, yeah we can push that down on the list uh so we'll see where that goes uh we'll do that the rest of the week on Lockdown Bucks. This has been Lockdown Bucks, the first part of the media day look at Lockdown Bucks. We will do some more later. That was Frank Mann. I'm Eric Dane. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you later. Napa it takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17